Welcome to IBS Chat from the IBS Patient Support Group. I'm Jeffrey Roberts, the IBS expert and founder of the IBS Patient Support Group website and social media platforms and creator of World IBS Day, held every April 19th. I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome at age 16 and I've lived with IBS for over 25 years. It's my mission to educate people living with irritable bowel syndrome and to raise awareness about research and treatment options and what it's like to live with IBS. The IBS Patient Support Group is a community to inform and support irritable bowel syndrome sufferers and can be reached at ibspatient.org. Supporting IBS patients is something that I think of every day because the quality of life of an IBS patient and those that support them is very important to me. Episode number 11. Natalie Hayden is an inflammatory bowel disease patient who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 2005, just two months after graduating college. After several hospitalizations, she underwent bowel resection surgery in 2015. Natalie is a mom of two beautiful children with one more on the way. She is a former TV news anchor and a reporter, so she has had a very active life. She celebrates her patient journey on her blog, lightscamerachrones.com, where she publishes weekly articles. She enjoys sharing stories about pregnancy and motherhood in hopes of comforting and empowering others. Natalie is very involved in IBD patient advocacy for the IBD Social Circle, being a patient ambassador for Galley Health, a patient leader for Weagle Health, and a contributor to Everyday Health, Healthy Women, the IBD Healthline app, and IBD Mums. She is also an active volunteer and spokesperson for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. I was struck at Natalie's story about living with IBD and the overlap with the quality of life of living with IBS. It's a similar constant power struggle that we have living with a digestive disease. In my conversation with Natalie, she tells her story, when and how she was diagnosed, including her warning symptoms. Natalie told me about her day-to-day coping and what it's like being a stay-at-home mom and mom-to-be, with the fear of starting a biologic and the effect on fertility. She speaks about parenthood and what can and can't she do. She says it takes a wonderful partner to be able to cope. Natalie describes how she coped with her demanding career as a journalist on television. She feels that Crohn's disease has shaped who she is and is a strong believer in the insight that it has given her. Lastly, we speak about Natalie's involvement in social media. She feels that social media allows us to connect and support each other. She believes that the moment you open up and share your story is when you receive support. I believe that too. Hi, I'm here with Natalie and uh, thank you so much for joining me today to have a conversation about uh, Crohn's disease and IBD uh, and IBS. And we're going to look at some of the similarities between the two and, and some of the differences. So I know that some IBD patients take up to 10 years to receive a clear diagnosis of Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. How long did you have your symptoms for before you were eventually diagnosed with Crohn's disease? Um, when it comes to the diagnosis, I'm very fortunate uh, in the respect that I graduated from college in May 2005 from Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And at that point, I felt just like everybody else that's normal and healthy. And then all of a sudden, uh, I started dealing with extreme symptoms. My temperature was about 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I had excruciating stomach pains almost within seconds of eating food. I was extremely lethargic. I was dropping weight. And we didn't really know what was going on. So that was in May. And I ended up getting my diagnosis July 23rd in the emergency room which is almost unheard of uh, with IBD, but the doctor did a rectal exam and an abdominal CT scan, and from those two tests, he said, you know, it's looking like you have Crohn's disease. We're going to admit you. You're malnourished. You're dehydrated. You're getting a colonoscopy in the morning, and then the colonoscopy confirmed those findings. Wow, that that's quite the story because, I mean, it really does take people so long 
And you must have had such thickening in your in your bowel wall for them to be able to diagnose it without doing further tests. That's unheard of. Yeah, I was pretty grateful. To, as, as much as you don't want to get the diagnosis of a chronic illness, of course, I was almost relieved to have an answer and be able to be proactive and start managing it. Yeah, because also a lot of people who go to uh, school start having, you know, digestive problems because they're away from home, they're eating differently and so forth. How did you know that this was something out of the ordinary? I just was always a picture of health. I played sports growing up. I never even had an ear infection. I was just always kind of, you know, that picture of health type of person. So when I went from feeling pretty invincible and not even thinking about my health, you know, honestly taking it for granted each day, uh, looking back, as soon as I started feeling so sick every single day and only being 21 years old and knowing I shouldn't be feeling that way, and I come from a pretty medical family, and I just kind of knew something was wrong. I actually told myself I had Crohn's disease because I grew up with some people with Crohn's, um. and I started Googling the symptoms, of course, and before I even went to the emergency room, I would just remember being in my bedroom and looking up everything I was going through, and I thought, you know what, I have Crohn's disease, and then, well, and behold, that was the answer. Wow. Uh, it's great that you had actually that knowledge. So, so many people don't and they don't know anybody else who has, you know, similar mm-hmm. symptoms. So you can and also you sounds like you could probably talk about your symptoms as well to other people, which also helps so many people. Absolutely. If you know somebody with the disease, it's so much easier to navigate it because unless you live with a digestive disorder, you really don't understand because it's not your reality. You think, oh, yeah, I've had a stomach flu, or I've had stomach pains, or, you know, I just went to the bathroom a lot of times yesterday, but there's really no comparison. Wow. So what about day-to-day now? I mean, do you have day-to-day problems? Uh, do you have weekly problems? What, what kind of problems do you have? What, what would you consider kind of your flare-up symptoms? Mm-hmm. Um, every day, I just take every day, day to time. I'm sure you do the same. Uh, you know, most days I do have to run to the bathroom more than five times a day with my children. I'm a stay-at-home mom with a almost two-and-a-half-year-old and a six-month-old, so I have my hands full. And, I mean, yesterday, to give you an idea, you know, I'm feeding my daughter, and I have to run to the bathroom and hold her on my lap and then tell my son to come to the bathroom, and I'm all by myself. And I'm in pain, but I don't want my two-year-old to know that mommy's hurting. And he looks at me and says, you know, tummy hurt, mommy's sick. He's already understanding uh, what, you know, my life entails. So, you know, I do think it creates a level of empathy in children from a young age when they get to witness uh, the day-to-day. And I kind of, you know, I I know that if I drink coffee, I'm going to be symptomatic. But I need it to be having enough energy because I deal with a lot of fatigue from my disease. So, you know, I'll drink a cup of coffee and then I'll have to pay for repercussions any hours afterwards. So every day is kind of my, I'm just pretty much used to having to go to the bathroom all the time. <laughs> um, and then, you know, abdominal pains if I'm eating something that I shouldn't be. But mostly when I'm in a remission type state, which I'll be in one's clinical remission right now, I do deal with quite a bit of fatigue. And that's probably my biggest issue. I'm, I'm pretty used to going to the bathroom just because ever since I had my bowel resection surgery in 2015, they took out what's called my ileocecal valve. And that is a valve that allows people to hold it. So I, when I have to go, I've got to go. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you mentioned your, um, it's an interesting thing that you mentioned also about your children. I remember once when I was, oh, my daughter was quite young and 
I had to bring her to the bathroom with me because my gut was so bad and I was alone with her. And so, uh, you know, I just had her kind of turn around. She was, she was a little older, so I felt a little bit uncomfortable, but I couldn't leave her outside by herself. And so I brought her in with me and I was in, yeah, I was not having a really good day. And so I went a number of times. And so she, you're right. They, they do have a certain amount of empathy, uh, but it's difficult. I mean, you are home every day and you have your children and you have to, you know, bring them both with you, at least one of them with you. Anyways, it's people have a, a great understanding and you get a real picture of what's going on when you have to, when you have to do with that. So what, what kind of medications are you actually on now in order to keep you in, you know, clinical remission? on Humira since 2008. Um, in July 2008, I was hospitalized over 4th of July weekend with an abscess the size of a tennis ball in my small intestine. And at, at that point, I was actually taking six Azacol a day. And I remember the GI walked into the hospital room and he said, look, Natalie, we got to break out the big guns. You're just basically taking Flintstone vitamins for what you're dealing with right now. You need a biologic. And I was petrified in that moment. I you know, of course, like everybody else, went right on the internet and was so scared and frightened by all the side effects, but little did I know that that drug would be a miracle drug for me and give me my quality of life back. So I've been doing injections since July 2008, so just over 11 years now. So it's hard to believe. Um, it's really been a, a crutch for me. I, I honestly can't imagine my life without it uh, because I was able to go off all of their medication. When I was first diagnosed, I was on 22 pills a day. So to go from taking 22 pills to just doing an injection once every two weeks was amazing for me. Um, and I was also um, recently, the last four years, I was on the Salamine and Lialda uh, interchangeably, of course, so basically the same medication, mm-hmm. um, and then folic acid, prenatal vitamin, and then vitamin D. So, wow. So your, your Crohn's predates your children. And, you, yeah. and so you obviously had some doctors who were, you know, well aware of the fact that, you know, you wanted to get pregnant and could you, and could you carry and so forth? Um, how, how did you manage that? That's a really good question. I think that there's so many people out there that are on a biologic, uh, whether it's Humira or a different one and concerned about, are you able to stay on the medication while you're pregnant? How does that affect the baby? And I able to breastfeed? There's so many questions. There's even if you do know you're doing what's best uh, for your body, but of course, it's hard. You know, I remember injecting myself when I'm 39 weeks pregnant, and I feel the baby kicking, and you know what you're putting in your body, and it's mentally uh, pretty taxing. But at the same time, I always tell mothers to be that you have to be a safe haven for your baby, and the worst possible thing would be to have a flare-up while you're pregnant and not being able to treat it or hurting the baby in that way. So I just told myself that, and it gave me great peace of mind. So I stayed on my medication throughout both pregnancies, uh, 39 weeks with my son and then 37 weeks with my daughter. I scheduled C-sections. So um, it was pretty pretty much the same each pregnancy. And I, I have two healthy children, zero problems. They're immune suppressed for the first six months of life because of the biologic. Mm-hmm. But neither of my children got sick those first six months. I just kept, uh, kept a pretty low profile those first Wow. Um, you mentioned uh, about coffee and how that definitely triggers mm-hmm. your symptoms. And I imagine that the symptoms are, I'm not sure about abdominal pain, but probably ca- causes a looser stool. And because you don't have that valve as well, you're in the bathroom probably pretty quickly. Uh, and it's funny, I just had some caffeine now because I have the same fatigue and I need it. 
but it's also it just doesn't do well with me the caffeine causes the same sort of thing me you know in the bathroom pretty quickly after um did you make any adjustments to your diet otherwise or has the medication really taken care of everything that's a great question uh, i think so many of us can relate to the caffeine it's just such a chocolate because we all live these full busy lives and it's hard to function just like any you know human being without having a little boost each day so uh, when it comes to diet my first 10 months of diagnosis back then there wasn't it was 2005 there wasn't a ton of research and I'll never forget this coming to the hospital room, and it was so doomsday. She basically said, you're never going to eat fresh fruit, you're never going to eat fresh vegetables, no fried food. Like, she listed basically anything you would possibly ever want to eat, and I just sat there. It was just devastating in the moment to think, oh, my gosh, you're never going to be able to eat anything. Well, it turns out I did a low-residue diet for the first 10 months, so I did not eat fresh fruit or vegetables. Uh, for that entire time, everything had to be cooked, and it's so unhealthy. You know, basically white bread, not wheat bread, and pasta, and meat, and just a lot of things that really don't help you when you're on prednisone, as it is. So um, I'll never forget the first time I had a salad. I was out in public. I was in TV at the time, and my parents came to visit me in Minnesota, and I cried in public the first time I got to try salad. Uh, it was March of 2006. So I went almost a year without eating anything fresh, and it's just, you know, it's really hard when you're used to eating so healthy, getting told, you know, those are the things that are going to aggravate your symptoms. So moving forward, I always tell people, and this is how I have, I deal with it too, is especially when I'm really diagnosed, have a food diary and just slowly integrate things. So after a flare, don't go gung-ho and eat, you know, a salad with nuts on it, with, you know, lots of roughage. Take it easy. Maybe take a couple bites of a cucumber. See how that goes. The next day, try a tomato. Does you have a stomachache? If you have a stomachache, you know that's a trigger food. So I've been kind of able to see through the years, and I'm sure you're the same way. Which foods are maybe a bit risky? Maybe sometimes they bother you. Maybe there's others that are horrible for most people, but they're safe foods for you. Every single person is different. I stay away from popcorn, nuts. Um, I do eat some nuts, but I stick more towards tree nuts. I don't drink diet soda. I don't drink beer. Um, other than that, I used to have trouble with watermelons and, like, cantaloupe and that sort of thing. But the past year or so, I've been able to tolerate those. Hmm. Um, but it's obviously, you know, each each day can be different. But I'm pretty good as far as being able to eat whatever I want now. It's mostly, I would say, caffeine is my main trigger. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So with IBS, there's been a lot of uh, research and... A lot of people are being uh, guided through with dietitians on what's called the low FODMAP diet, which reduces FODMAP as uh, an acronym for uh, a bunch of sugars that are in your diet, and those sugars contribute to you know bloating and and gas and abdominal pain and so forth. So people try and find the right levels of these FODMAP related foods that they can actually tolerate. It's not an elimination diet; it's more of determining you know, what you can actually do. It's true, though. I mean, you do have to carry a diary. That's the best way to do it is to find out what's actually really bothering you and not eliminate everything. And it sounds like you've reintroduced almost everything, which is wonderful to hear. That's really, really good. Yeah, but I do do find with sugars, if I do eat something, like I don't eat a lot of candy. Say I eat a pack of, you know, Sour Patch Kids or Skittles, I do tend to get a stomachache. Um, from a lot of sugar like that. So I could see how that would be a trigger for a lot of people as well. I think for everybody, because sugar tends to bring a lot of liquid into the gut, and then the gut gets overwhelmed, and um, then you end up with you know a looser stool. 
Um, I wanted yeah. to ask you, how often do you see your doctor for Crohn's? Like, when do you check in? Yeah. So I, I just talked to my doctor uh, today on the phone, actually. She's really proactive. So I read on the patient portal. She usually calls me personally, which is so easy and fantastic because you can write messages back and forth and messages can get lost in translation. But it's great that she just calls for five minutes and, you know, we touch base. But I see my GI doctor. Um, usually when I'm not pregnant, I see her every six months. And then I get lab work because safety labs for my biologic every three months. When I'm pregnant, I see her in person every three months along with lab work. Okay, that's that's amazing that your doctor actually calls you directly. Uh, people listening to yeah. this are going to be extremely jealous uh, of that relationship, but it's so important to have that kind of relationship, especially with something mm -hmm. like an, a chronic illness that can flare up out of nowhere. And you need to, yeah. you, you really do need to be followed closely. So that's that's wonderful to hear. Uh, you you mentioned yeah. your children and and you have adorable children. I mean, I love when you post pictures you. on Instagram and Facebook and so forth about them. Um, so many people struggle with, you know, the everyday activities and you mentioned, you know, being home with them and getting to the bathroom. What kind of things, you know, do you not do or do you have challenge with or do you kind of rely on your husband to help you with? Sure. You know, parenthood, anybody who has a child, um, they understand that whether you have a chronic illness or not, it's pretty exhausting and taxing. Um, emotionally and physically, uh, it's, of course, it's a huge blessing, but it's, you know, it's a lot on a person to take care of children. And, you know, I sometimes have to dial it back a little bit. I might feel guilty or have some mom guilt if it's a beautiful day outside, but my energy level just can't tolerate a walk in the heat. And I know, you know, if I do this more often, I might be symptomatic. I might be really weak and tired later. So, you know, I have to some days think, you know, it's going to be okay to play on the floor or build a tent or, you know, just cuddle on the couch with my little ones rather than being out and about and lugging around the car seat and pushing a stroller. And, you know, we went to the zoo yesterday, and it's so much fun, but it also takes a lot of energy to take a two-year-old and a six-month-old to the zoo and change them in a public bathroom and feed them and chase them around. You know, it takes a lot. So I can't do things like that every day, and I think that my kids are still living a very full life. It might not be as full as some other kids that are home with their parents, but at the same time, I need to do what's best for me so that I can be the best mom possible. And luckily, my husband is a huge support. The minute he walks in the door, he does everything for getting my son ready for bed. Um, he's just always been my rock since the beginning. I met him in 2013, so he didn't come around until I had had the disease for, let's see, eight years. But um, once he became a part of my life, I actually had three bowel obstructions our first year of dating long distance. And he oh, went goodness. by my side. He's never left the hospital. Um, he's just day to day, just an unbelievable support for me. That is huge. I mean, you said two really important things there. There, one is although you're you know you're on great medication and it's keeping you healthy, it doesn't address everything. So you're you know the exhaustion of the illness itself and and the other kind of manifestations that happen in your body it do, do take a toll on you however you're totally listening to your body which is wonderful um and the other thing is i mean you have such a supportive spouse which is huge and not even that you didn't scare him away having you know several bowel obstructions early on when you met um that's a wonderful partner you're very very lucky i do feel very lucky because anybody who's felt with a 
digestive illness understands and has, you know, come across you. Maybe, maybe you're married already and you come through an illness and your spouse isn't there for you, but when you're dating and you're young, so many people just don't understand. They don't want to be bothered with it. And, you know, I had boyfriends in the past who were pretty awful and just, you know, I'd be hospitalized and they wouldn't even call and then they'd break up with me while I was, you know, sick in a hospital bed. And it, it really makes you see people's true character. So people are always so worried about finding love and finding someone that's actually going to take care of them. And I say that IDD and IBS are really a great truth serum because you get to see someone's true character. It's not always going to be some kind of rainbows, whether you're healthy or not. And having an illness shows somebody, you know, in the worst moment, how are they going to respond? Are they going to be there for you or are they going to be non-existent? And you also get to see this with friendship, which people are going to be right on the front lines with you. It's going to surprise you. It might be a good acquaintance, and your best friend might not even call. So it definitely you see a shift in a lot of relationships with these illnesses. Well, it's funny. you call, It's truth serum. You're absolutely right. I mean... Uh, my wife and I actually met when we were 17, so she knows what my gut has been like ever since I was a teenager, and she stuck wow. around. Now, she does say to me now that if she had known that I was going to have all of these issues, she might have, you know, thought of something a little bit different. But she has been, and my family has been, you know, incredible support, and it's just so important. Uh, I, I think you'll see as your children... Um, get older, that they will really, really care about you, and they will understand, and it will really help them in their relationships as well. Yeah, as much as I, it, it makes me sad that they're going to think, you know, mommy's sick, I am looking forward to just seeing how my son rises to the challenge and seeing my daughter through some of my hard moments, how they're going to rise up to those those challenges. Oh, they will. I mean, I've my children have seen me ill ever since they were born, and uh, they absolutely have completely risen to the occasion, and they get it. They can they completely understand when I've canceled uh, vacation plans, or I just can't make it out, or you know I'm not feeling well. They can read my my face. They can read my body, as I'm sure your husband can as well, and your kids can. Your kids can as well. I mean, they're your your son, anyways. Being you know older can definitely read your body language. That's saying you're not feeling well, and it's probably coming closer to you. Um, so before the children, you had a pretty great job anchoring uh, on television. I'm just wondering, how did you actually do that? How did you deal with the daily challenges of, you know, getting to work and probably not feeling well, even before you went to college? You must Something might have been there, or was it, you know, how did you actually do it? Sure, yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy when I think about it, because ever since I was a little girl, I aspired to be a journalist. Um, and I, I thought I wanted to do print in high school. I worked on the newspaper, and then I went to college for a journalism degree, which I ended up getting. But my sophomore year, I kind of changed my interest. Instead of being interested in newspaper and magazine, I wanted to be on television. So I worked tirelessly. I interned at CBS Chicago for two and a half years. You make zero dollars. You know, get up at 5 in the morning, take the train to Chicago for an hour, work until 6 p.m., take the train back and do that five days a week and make zero dollars. <laughs> Uh, but I loved every minute of it. And then I did Marquette TV when I was in college, and I just had a real passion for sharing the news, meeting people, telling people stories. And um, I started to move anywhere in the United States to, to, to do TV. And little did I know when I was blindsided with IDD, you know, this is going to shift some things. But at the same time, it really didn't shift it much because I was diagnosed while I was doing my job search. And um, I was so sickly on the way to one interview before I was diagnosed that my dad was thinking something wasn't right with me because I'm a very type A person, a lot of energy. And I actually slept on the way to the interview. 
um, what I ended up doing is I got home from the hospital in early August. I ended up having to come back to the hospital, and I thought it didn't even stop me from my job search. I continued. I sent about 200 resume tapes. It was a tape back then. Mm-hmm. These stations around the country, and I ended up moving away from my family eight hours. I got a job in October. Um, I'm 22 pills a day, 60 milligrams of prednisone. And I just did not allow this disease to stop me. I thought, you know, this is what I wanted to do my whole life. I worked so hard for this. Um, it kind of was just, you know, I have Crohn's, but I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Um, I didn't want it to rule my life. I wanted to rule it. So it was more of a power struggle for me. And I had a lot of, you know, difficult days. There were days in the newsroom where I couldn't even stand up straight. There were days I had to unbutton my pants um, while I was producing the newscast. And I was behind the scenes the first 10 months because... I just wanted to get my foot in the door, and I worked at an ABC affiliate in Minnesota. And then, you know, a job opened up, and I became a nice cover reporter. And, you know, the newsroom all knew what was going on with me, but I never let the public know because I didn't want pity. I didn't want sympathy. I wanted to be looked at the same as I've always been looked at. And um, then I got a job at the morning newsroom for Wisconsin, and I had quite a few flare-ups while I was up there. Unfortunately, that's where I was talking to and everything. And let me tell you, getting up at 2 in the morning with a chronic illness, <laughs> I did that for seven years in my career. Um, it's tiring, but also I think because I was in my 20s, I had a lot of energy. Um, and I never drank coffee on the news deck like, until possibly my last six months on the job. So somehow people were always thinking, how is this girl so energetic without coffee? Like, <laughs> and I'm just a high-energy person. You are you, my job so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, <laughs> so, love, uh, you love your job and, uh, you know, I know that you're a high energy person as well because I've seen you do like go from one thing to another and uh, it's amazing. I mean, you're passionate about it. I mean, I feel like you've helped so many people. I've seen you um, reach out to others who have, you know, the same kind of illness to try and kind of coach them. What, what, when you're coaching people along in terms of, you know, your journey, what is it that you're sharing with them and what do you want them to take away from what you've learned in your journey? Thank you so much for those kind words. Um, you know, I try to dial it back and think what I was like at age 21 when I was diagnosed and really only knew a couple people and didn't have social media and didn't have blogs to look at. And I think, what, what did I need to hear? What was the voice that I was reaching out for that I so desperately needed? I felt so isolated. Really, I didn't come out publicly with my disease for the first decade. So I'm very new to the advocacy space. So I think that I have fresh energy because I haven't been around it all that long. But at the same time, I know what I needed to hear, and I know what many people need to hear, whether it's about going through surgery for the first time, becoming a mom, you know, finding a husband or a wife, uh, you know, just those, those major life milestones that I had to go through with my um that I didn't get to go through as a healthy person. Um, so I try to just be a voice and say, look, you might have a disease, but if you want to be a news anchor, you can be a news anchor. If you want to get married and have kids, you can do that too. Um, it isn't a death sentence. It's not, you know, sunshine and rainbows, and there's a lot of difficult days, and there's a lot of, a lot of crying and blood, sweat, and tears that go into this disease. But at the same time, people often ask me, would you give away your crown? So someone said, you never had to be diagnosed. I say, actually, it completely shaped my adult years and made me who I am today, so I would actually keep it. Oh, wow. That's that's interesting. I, I mean, you don't wish it on anybody and you'd rather not have it. But the insight that it's yeah. that it's provided to you is um, quite, quite unique. I mean, you definitely do have a different perspective. I, I always say to people that I can't imagine 
how much more I'd get done if I didn't have to deal with this. Like if I wasn't running the bathroom, yeah. you know, eight times a day. But I do. I mean, I just kind of, you know, I, I get through it. Somehow I rise to the occasion. Um, you know, you and I met at uh, Digestive Disease Week in San Diego. And we only met briefly because you, you were so busy. I was incredibly busy as well. It was an exhausting event. Uh, but you, 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 you clearly you rose to the occasion. Uh, you were trying to get everything in. It was exciting, and you're out, and you're you know away from the um, the family, which is challenging in itself. And you're on you know different foods and things like that. I saw you rise to the occasion. So um, it's really interesting that you say that you wouldn't take back the illness because it it gave you so much insight into life. Absolutely. You know, I feel that chronic illness, while it's brutal, it, it is a brutal thing to live with. I wouldn't wish this on my children, of course, or anybody else. But at the same time, I am so much more of an empathetic person. It's given me so much more clarity and perspective on a feel-good day. You know, when I, I push my kids outside in a stroller, and it's a beautiful day, when I was healthy, I probably would have just thought, oh, this is a great day. Now I really take in the air. I thank God for this moment. I breathe it all in. I look at my children with a different set of, you know, vision and eyes because, you know, I might be in the hospital tomorrow. I don't know. So, you know, it just makes you value what the beauty is in life that often is taken for granted when you just feel well every single day. It goes back to what you said initially is that, um, you know, you're feeling great today and you take each day uh, at a at a time because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, yeah. which is absolutely true. Yeah. Let me ask you something about mums, because I—that's uh, where we actually finally met in uh, San Diego. Was at a uh, a mums event for for mums with IBD. What what do you tell other mums, mums who both have children who have IBD, or mums themselves who have IBD? You know what? There's something special about um, you know, a mum and another mum. What's so special about IBD a, mums? Yeah, there is such a camaraderie between IBD parents, especially IBD moms, just because. I'm an IBD mom, but I do know some amazing IBD dads as well. And being a mom, uh, just going through having to go through pregnancy, I think is a biggie. You know, especially people on social media, I often connect with so many young girls who are aspiring to be moms one day, but are so worried about how their body that's been riddled with illness is going to be able to create a miracle. So it's just, you know, talking to them about the experience, what to expect, what it's going to be like, you know, dealing with a maternal fetal medicine doctor, and, you know, going to high-risk GI and, and, and talking to all these different care teams about what it's going to take to bring a life into this world. It's, it's not a walk in the park, but at the same time, you have so many people looking after your care and um, watching over your baby rather than getting an ultrasound twice during a pregnancy. You get one every single month. So you're really watching that baby grow and develop. And I just think we all understand, you know, everybody's fatigued as a mom no matter what your health state is. But when you have IBD, it's on a completely different level. Um, so we just understand each other. It's almost like we're bonded over what we're going through. And um, it's just a sense of, you know, community that obviously did not really exist until recently. I think moms has really changed the space and changed the conversation and shown, you know, it's okay to raise your hand and say, I have IBD and I'm a mom or I want to be a mom or my child has IBD. Um, there is a family for you out there virtually and in person. That's how we do some of those in-person events because there's nothing like being face-to-face. But at the same time, we all live across the country, across the world. So if we can connect on social media, you can be having a terrible day and just send over a message to someone and feel, you know, a sense of support. So I just think having that additional support aside from your friends and family who oftentimes don't have IBD or IBS, uh, connecting with people 
them with their children out and about doing things or having a feel-good day or, you know, it breaks my heart when I see moms in the hospital having to be away from their kids because that's my greatest fear. Luckily, I haven't been hospitalized since having children, but I know it's inevitable and it's going to happen. So just watching how they navigate that sort of thing. So just watching other people's experience um, from afar really inspires you, empowers you, and also reminds you when you're in a remission state how thankful you are not to be in that hospital bed. Wow. It's so fortunate that other women have the opportunity to, you know, be able to communicate with you and share with you. And you're sounds like you're getting a lot from it as well. It's it's wonderful how everyone's kind of uh, come together and, and are connecting that way. It's great. Now, another way that you connect also uh, is your website and your blog. I'm amazed that you're able to actually publish something on a weekly basis. Uh, and so you put a lot into it maybe just spend a moment to tell everyone about your blog and your website and, and what you hope people will be able to gain from it. So thanks. So my blog launched on the uh, 11th anniversary of my Crohn's diagnosis, July 23rd. So it is three years old now, and it's called Life Camera Crohn's. And uh, I'm sure you can understand now with my TV background, that's what Life Camera comes from, and then Crohn's, the disease I have. But I also want it to be a play on words. Um, honesty, transparency, I have um, so, so many bowel obstructions that the tail end of the blog is called an unobstructed view because I wanted people to get a clear look at what life at IBD is like and not just, you know, the doom and gloom. If anybody reads any of my articles, they'll see that they're very uplifting but also very transparent. You know, I talk about the ugly and the, and the hard parts of the disease, but I also show people that there's so much more to life with your disease. So I publish fresh content every single Monday. I've never missed a Monday. So, yes, I'm very proud of that. I'm hoping to continue the trend. Um, I, I am always looking for guest posts, um, topics that people want me to dive into. I have some journalists in me. I just love to have a deadline, and I love to share fresh content with people. And, you know, a lot of effort and heart goes into it. But if I can help one person, um, when I receive an email or a private message on social media from somebody that said, you know, I needed to read that today, it, it makes it all worth it to me. Oh, that's that is really so wonderful to hear. It's amazing how much you actually give back to the community, and you're you're definitely getting some from it as well. I hadn't really considered the 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 journalism side that you're very driven to be able to come up with something and and giving your own deadline, uh, which is which is great. I'm not as um, I can't do that quite on demand as as you can uh however i do reach out to as many people as i possibly can and try and um respond to people's emails do you receive a lot of emails as well yes i would say i get emails but mostly you know private messages on instagram is my big you know area of conversation i always tell people that instagram is really a great spot for newly diagnosed and for patients whereas twitter is more so the advocates they're very vocal, like you and me, um, a lot of the physicians. It's more of the people that are kind of veteran patients, I would say, but Instagram is really the bread and butter, I feel like, for our community. Um, so that you can just reach thousands of people by checking out hashtags. If you look, you know, hashtag Chrome, hashtag IBD, hashtag IBS, you know, if you look up these things, you're going to get thousands of posts that connect you with people that are living your same reality. Oh, that's a good tip, actually, is for people to check out Instagram to see some, you know, authentic patient voices by just doing it through yeah. hashtags. And you're right. Twitter is very 
it's, there's advocacy uh, that's on Twitter, but it's also the, the researchers, the doctors, um, the industry, they're all on Twitter. So that, that's a very, that's a very good tip about using Instagram for that. Is there anything that else that you'd like to tell people about yourself or your family, uh, your disease, something that we haven't touched on? everybody to know that it is a family online, uh, virtually and in, uh, in social media, because whether you live you know, in the States, if you live in Canada, if you live in Europe, I actually had a guest post on my blog from a woman in the United Kingdom on Monday. Um, we are all connected, no matter how close or far we are. So if you're in a hospital and you're feeling alone, and maybe you don't have a support system, know that right at your fingertips, there are millions of people available that are there for you, that love you and care about you, and are able to, you know, empathize with what you're going through, whether it's your darkest day or your best day. It could be your wedding day and you're feeling fantastic and you just want to tell people. Um, the moment you share your story publicly is the moment you're going to open yourself up for support. It is one of the scariest things to be open and say, look, I have Crohn's disease publicly. Um, it took me 10 years to do so, but the minute I did, I, it was the best thing I've ever done because it let people see the real me, and I didn't have to hide behind my disease anymore. I took off the mask, and the minute you take off the mask, you're empowering yourself to be stronger against your illness. Well, that's such a positive way to, to end this conversation. Um, I'm always, I've always been impressed by how positive you have been, yet you've been very transparent, as you said, as you, you know, you let people know there are, there are some ugly sides to this, but there's some very positive um, aspects of it as well. And you certainly have shared that with, with us. I truly appreciate you, you taking the time now. I mean, you have a wonderful lights, camera, crones, and unobstructed view is uh, a great place for people to really get a perspective as what it's like to live because you're, you're publishing something every week. So you really get an idea of what's happening in your life and your tip for Instagram is, is fabulous. So truly appreciate that tip as well for everybody. So thank you again uh, for taking the time now. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. Appreciate it too.